0: Welcome to Project Chatter, the podcast where PPM experts from various sectors talk about the latest trends. Listen to Val and Dale as they talk about tried and tested best practices and share their unfiltered thoughts about the industry. Whether you're here to learn how to progress your career, improve your project control skills, or just want to hear an Aussie and South African rant about projects, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Project Chatter podcast with your hosts, Dale Fung, and
1: Val Matthews. Hey everyone, this episode is brought to you by JustDo.com. JustDo is a great business and project management tool we've been using here at Project Chatter.
0: I agree, Val. I like to keep things simple and JustDo is perfect for that. But I do know it's got a lot of powerful functionality as well. And one of my favorites is the task-specific chat.
1: Absolutely. And for all you slackers, don't wait for Monday. Check out JustDo.com. Now on with the pod. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Project Chatter Podcast. I'm Val Matthews, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, Dale Fung. Hello, folks. Well, in this episode, I'm very excited. We get to speak to Jack Dougal, uh, who's going to talk about his book, DNA Strategy of Execution, The Next Generation for Project Management and PMO. But without going too much into the book just yet, let's welcome Jack. Welcome, Jack. It's a pleasure to have you on the show.
2: Hey, Val and Dale. It's uh, great to be with you guys.
1: Brilliant. Um, Today, obviously, we're going to be focusing on the DNA and uh, an acronym within the book as well called DANCE. But before we do get into that, um, here is Dale with Jack's
0: bio. Thanks, Phil. I'm going to get straight into this bio. Uh, It's amazing. So Jack Dugal is deep into decoding the DNA of strategy execution and transformation in a DANCE. And as you say, that's an acronym, which stands for Dynamic, Ambiguous, Non-Linear, Complex, Emergent and increasingly uncertain world. His passion is to seek and provide different perspectives in how to deal with the dance nature of business, organizations, and life. His purpose is to inspire and equip people and organizations to make a difference and impact through transformational strategy execution in a persistently turbulent dance world. Jack is a TEDx speaker and an internationally recognized expert in strategy execution and PMO with over 25 years of experience. He's the author, as you mentioned, of The DNA of Strategy Execution, Next Generation Project Management and PMO, and winner of a Global Innovation Award and first prize for innovation in organizational project management based on implementation ideas from the book. His next generation ideas and the DNA of strategy execution framework have been adopted and implemented in many organizations around the world. His next generation seminars have been top rated for over 15 years with a unique blend of actionable insights and practical experience. Jack is the founder and managing principal of Project Ties group specializing in next-generation strategy execution, facilitation, and consulting. He works with leading organizations from NASA to Silicon Valley companies and governments around the world. Wow, 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 wow. As Val says, thank you very much for joining us, Jack, and welcome to the pod. It's great to have you.
2: Hey, you guys are too, too kind. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> um i'm just gonna jump straight in there jack and um you know we, we we love to ask guests particularly guests with your expertise knowledge and you know breadth and depth how it started out for you how, how you got into you know this world we call projects
2: yeah so where do we start i guess um i'm gonna go back and start uh, more from how uh, uh i became a project management and you know got uh excited about this whole world of project management. My background uh, and education was in uh, business and systems. And I was typically working, you know, right uh, uh, around when the internet was coming around and the dot-com boom in uh, networking and so on. And uh, what I heard in the company I was working on was that uh, the future is going to be like, we need Good people to manage projects. I had no clue what project management is, so uh, that's where it poked my interest. You know, I went to my local bookstore and I purchased some books on project management, and I learned more about it. And I wanted to get into it, and then eventually, you know, I um, got into I'll uh, uh, go a little bit further. Uh, I wanted to be in different industries and get a wider exposure and travel and put all these things together. So I went to work for one of the big five uh, professional services organizations. And uh, that was my first uh, array into project management. And that's how I kind of got into it. And I was excited because, you know, it was kind of like I was applying my bookish knowledge, so to speak. And I was trying to get, you know, all the certifications and so on. And as Mm -hmm. you're doing that and working with different clients, you know, uh, and you're getting like the, you know, more what I call manageable projects. And life was good. Uh, uh, You know, I, I still remember my first project. You know, we had some challenges, but it was a six month long project and uh, we kind of brought it on time within budget but what was really exciting i still remember was at the end of it we had a huge celebration party it was in the outskirts of new york city overlooking you know from a castle and i said wow i'm, I'm at that luncheon thinking you know what jack project management is good because <laughs> you know you, people appreciate it and they have parties you know when you end projects and so on So that was kind of my start into it. But I was young. I was naive because I didn't know what was next, you know. Uh, So as you become successful, you know, uh, you get to do bigger projects and, you know, you get to manage larger teams. And as I started along doing that, I really found out the hard way that how hard project management is and how. I failed, you know, a bunch of times because I was doing things that I learned in the books and what, you know, all the trainings and the courses uh, uh, taught me. But then when I got into the real world, you know, to, to do those things, uh, I would be challenged. So that was kind of the, jo- uh, you know, the start of my journey. And just to kind of complete the circle coming back to the PMO, Where along the journey, this whole idea, and as you know, the part of the title of the book as well is, uh, and that's kind of the brand, you know, uh, that's evolved out of this over the last 20 years, which is the next generation. So, constantly out Mm -hmm. of that experience, what came to mind is like, look, we're doing things that we are being taught, right? and in, you know, what people are writing about and books and, you know, all those things. And just to give you a time frame, this is, you know, late 90s, early 2000s and so on. And, and uh, we are being challenged. Uh, now, the big thing when it really hit me was uh, part of us, you know, as I was working hard, you know, uh, trying to manage teams, I got promoted as a managing principal in the organization. And then somehow I was lucky enough to get into the PMO. Okay. Now, mind you, those uh, days, very few people had heard about PMOs. PMOs were a new thing, but we were trying to build one internally so we could pitch this to our clients on the outside world. And doing that was very, very challenging. And throughout that process, uh, the question kept coming back. What's like, what's next? How do we do this better? How do we do it differently? Because the things that I'm doing, uh, you know, don't seem to be working. The quote that comes to mind, I think, you know, that kind of really sparked the whole journey of that whole next seeking and learning, uh, you know, of challenging what the next generation is this one, where a number of organizations and then later on, you know, we did uh, research in our organization as well, which confirmed it. And one of the things that really stuck with me and it will probably shock some of the audiences was at that time I came across this, that 80% of organizations who were complying and applying all the project management tools and techniques, right? 80% compliance to the PMO's tools did not ensure project success. So wow. that was like a, you know, a big shock and an eye opener. And I said, uh, there has to be a better way. So, anyway, that was the start of my journey. How I got into this and the whole next generation thinking and challenge. Well,
0: wow. what, what, what a way to get into it! And um, you know, mm. just just telling you all what we're calling, you know, coining as origin story. Um, you can already just hear your passion coming through there for this. And you know, you're you're in great company because uh, you probably know Val and I are very passionate about PMO and projects. Um, yeah. My, I guess my my next question is so so jumping forward a little bit from from that start to to now, um, and and of course you're trying to you know go into the the space of next generation. But since back then, you talk about the '90s to now, how have things evolved? I mean, you know, yes, we're looking, we we will be discussing beyond today, but just looking back a bit and, and taking a bit of a time up from then to now, is is, is have there been massive um, sort of advances, or has it been quite slow? Uh, what, what kind of perspective can you give give us from that? Yeah,
2: so it has been, uh, frankly, I think that's a, a very interesting, uh, you know, uh, question. I haven't thought of it that way, but I would say it's been slow, because a lot of the mm-hmm. ideas we've been talking now that are catching on were, you know, the genesis of sort of the agile thinking of today, you know, which was in the late '90s and early 2000s. Uh, you know, people were talking, but it almost took like, you know, 10, 12, 15 years for the whole idea to catch on really. And uh, so it's been slow. Now, here's the exciting part. What I'm finding that, you know, in the last few months with this whole COVID thing, mm. and as as you know, uh, this is no news to anybody now, that the next normal you know, it's going to be very, very different. And almost in every sphere of life, there's some huge transformations happening. You look at anything, and people are saying, "What I saw in ten years or five years, we're going to see in the next two years." So similarly, I have very uh, uh, hope. And this whole idea, which uh, I hope we'll get a chance to unpack a little bit of it today, uh, you know, the the whole idea of the dance um, was, and and the DNA—they're kind of related was I'm finding it's become much easier now to articulate and for people to get. Uh, You know, I've been talking about it for the last 10, 15 years, but it was always like people kind of got it, but then they would lose it. And then, okay, so what? But now after COVID, it's hit us in our faces and it's made us more humble that the traditional ways of the mechanical thinking of cause and effect and linear approaches doesn't work anymore, right? So yeah. I could go on and on, but to answer your question, I think it's been slow, but the exciting part is I think it's gonna get much faster and we don't have a choice, frankly.
1: I completely agree with that. The consensus is that, yeah, and, and the adoption and the transformation rate isn't actually something that's being managed. It's it's almost like an evolution stage rather than you know, being pushed by any, any agency or organization. You know, you usually see resistance when something gets rolled out, um, whereas this is just a, a voluntary adaption and adopting of not just technology but just new ways of working. I love that bit around, um, you know, people are a lot more humble. There's a lot more humility. People are a lot more patient. Um, I think people's entire value sets have shifted because of COVID and they're, and they're re, re, reestablishing a connection probably with themselves first but with how they deal with their project teams. But before we go into that, I, I think that's uh, a good just point. Just
2: one thing, I, one thing yeah. I want to add before we lose it because it was so uh, important, and I think it's going to be so much valuable for any, uh, you know, project manager or strategy execution expert to get to is the word you used, Val, which is adoption. You know, think about it. Four mm, or five years ago, yeah. this would nobody even talked about it. But now, in yeah. IT, in any industry, it's all about Uh, adoption. How many people are actually going to use my system or going to, you know, sit in the rail car and have a, you know, great experience if I design it in a certain way. Uh, So it's all about adoption and experience. So one thing from this conversation, I hope the audience takes away is more emphasis on whatever I'm doing, how do I increase the adoption of that? And that is the true outcome uh, focus thinking we need in, in
1: project and program management. I completely agree. I can, I can tell, uh, Dale's, Dale's really into this as well right now, but before we get into even more, uh, Jack, cause this is going to be, this is going to be great stuff for everyone listening. Um, can you perhaps give us your synopsis on, on the book itself? Um, and then we can go into the book, uh, content, which would be really interesting.
2: Sure. So yeah, as the title says, um, there's, uh, 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 I'll just give you a quick synopsis of the three or four big ideas uh, from the book. So the first big idea is that it is the DNA, okay? So let me kind of mm. zoom out for a minute and why that's a big idea. And it kind of ties into some of the discussion we just had so far as well. If you look back over the last 150 years, the management thinking and evolution has been all... Uh, mechanical. In other words, the view of a business or an organization is that we can mechanize everything, and it's a factory-oriented mentality. So we come up with the process, we provide the right tools, and we put it in an assembly line, and it will just flow through. And if it doesn't, we can fix it, and we can keep improving upon it. And you can see all the management evolution around that in the current day with, you know, quality movement, the Six Sigma, you know, getting rid of defects and so on. So it's a very process tools, factory-oriented, linear approach. Okay? Mm. So the uh, the big idea, and I think it's many disciplines now we are getting, uh, is that if you really think about it, that's one view. When it worked in the past, right, over the last 100, 150 years, in the 19th and 20th century, but in today's world – it's different because if you really think about it, it's we are we even call it organization. So it is organic. It is an organism. It is living and it is breathing. Mm. And somehow, you know, I call that. By the way, there's a whole uh, the next sort of uh, you know uh, book I want to write about this, which I you know is kind of an evolution of this is the dance and the monkey part, right? So this part is the monkey part right which is for the last 150 years the monkey didn't care much because uh you know there was not much uh you know monkey needed anything new thing you could give it because monkey think about it 100 years ago we didn't have cars so if you gave monkey a car wow that's a great invention and as there's a famous quote from you know uh henry ford right He says, yeah, we can do anything for you as long as it's a black car or something like that. The Ford goes, I don't remember it exactly. And the monkey, (laughs) you know, you gave it the standard car and the monkey would be happy because the monkey didn't have too many choices. Right. And as you could see, so, uh, but the monkey in today's world has become very, very complex and that's the organic part. So the way you want to think about this discussion is, you know, first moving from mechanical to organic so project managers who want to be successful in the next generation have to think about both of those elements i'm not saying the mechanical part is not important of course it is so last 100 150 years was mechanical factory oriented view today's world is organic and guess what Mm -hmm. the next generation is going to be (laughs) next generation is going to be a combination of the two where we really get it it's things like you know uh, Elon Musk talks about the neural link and embedding you know, AI into the human brain and so on. So it's a really good synergy you know, of the organic with the mechanical and balancing both of those two things. Okay. So that's the first part of the, uh, the uh, uh, DNA part, which uh, tackles uh, 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 you know, the whole idea from an organic standpoint. Now, uh, if uh, we can probably unpack this a little bit more on the other side, uh, and I can get more into how the DNA involved and, you know, where, how did I, you know, we get into that part. But the broader picture is mechanical versus organic, uh, DNA thinking, okay? Now, the second big idea is the dance, uh, which is uh, uh, the acronym uh, dynamic and changing. You know, D, A stands for ambiguous. An N for nonlinear, C for complex, and E for emergent and unpredictable. I don't know if you guys have heard, there's another acronym that, you know, has been around. A lot more yeah. people are talking about these days, VUCA. Is
1: it? Is it? Yeah, VUCA. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. That.
2: So VUCA is not uh, anything new. Uh, I was not familiar with uh, with it until a few years ago, but VUCA is a term that was coined by the U.S. military in the late 1980s as warfare was changing. So they, you know, we were encountering more terrorism and things like that. So VUCA stands for Volatile, Uncertain, Complex, and Ambiguous, right? And then, uh, now, I think dance, is the next generation of VUCA, okay? I did not know about VUCA, but when I combine the two, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, dance is, of course, very, very similar to it. But what, why I say that the dance is the next generation, because first, it sounds good, obviously. We all need to learn to dance, you know, the dance of projects, the dance of life. But but uh, uh, kidding aside, there's two aspects which are very important, which are called out more in dance than in VUCA, which is the end part, the non-linear. In project management, we are conditioned to think and believe that the world is linear and we can predefine the cause and the effect. But what uh, the, the non-linear part reminds us that actually that's not possible. The reality of the world is it's non-linear and you can't assign cause and effect to everything. In a mechanical world, yes, but not in an organic and dynamic world, okay? So that end part, we need to think a lot more about and. You know, you could see in today's COVID world of how exponential increase of the disease is really, uh, it, it's blowing up that whole non-linearity in front of our faces, okay? The second piece which is missing in uh, VUCA is, uh, is kind of there, but it's not called out, is the emergent part, which is uh, emergent and unpredictable. In other words, it's like right now, we don't know. You know, I'm sure, you You know, my daughter keeps asking me, Dad, when will, you know, this afternoon, right? When will get things back to normal? When can I do that? And the truth is, I don't know. You don't know. And the mm. world's experts don't know because yeah. it is emergent and it is unpredictable. And what truly, if you, if you understand, you know, emergence, right, you will understand is that it's like, it's spontaneous. In other words, it's spontaneous emergence where, components will self-organize to produce capabilities and outcomes that are neither obvious nor predictable. The world is going to be different, but I bet you nobody can tell us exactly what it's going to be like in in fall, in, in September and October. So the challenge for us as project managers is how can we organize and plan for an unpredictable emergent behavior? that's the challenge. So that was like the second big idea, you know, the uh, dance part. And then the third is, it's, la, uh, it's like, okay, uh, the third piece of the book is how, so what do we do? So what does the next generation look like? And what are the skills we need as project managers, as program managers, as PMO leaders to thrive in this? And so the decomposition of the DNA, which is the seven areas is each of them is a chapter in the book that gets into the details of how do we go about doing that? So that's kind of a uh, uh, you should uh, synopsis for the book.
1: Beautiful. No, I love your passion, Jack. And um, as someone who's had your book for quite some time, I think since twenty eighteen or whenever it came out, um, yeah, it's actually one of my favourite PMO project management books. As you mentioned at the start, there there is a lot of institutional books in project management and. I love it how you said mechanical to organism because um, my, my, my passion is people as well. And, but, and understanding that element inserted into the project context, but, but the bit around how we can't, at the monkey, it's great, but how we think about projects, we think we mechanize projects in that exact same way that we have everything else. And and, and it's not bad, but it's like, um it's almost like a, a reptilian part of us. I can't seem to let go of just, numbers and stats and, and rates. Whereas if you look at even now, I think you'd see, especially I would notice in PMOs, there is a change, you know, where you mentioned things, and we'll go into it later, but things like the empathy map, which Dale, we're well versed on because of our previous pods. But you know, that, that was something that was never discussed ever, ever in project management. And I've been doing it for 15 years. And I think the the other interesting thing is, is oh, that a lot of your books, it's well, got, it's one got thing I like, want to
2: say, uh, if I may, uh, yeah, jump in what we lose. It is uh, there is also sort of a misconception and people will generalize, you know, when we talk about organic versus mechanical. And then the thing is, it's all about, uh, uh, uh people, you know, which, which it is, yeah. but I want to add one more companion. This is uh, sort of the nuance, right? So, yes, uh, in, when, when I do my uh, uh, PMO uh, seminar, we talk a lot about this part where most of the time PMOs will focus 90% or more of their time in creating process, documenting process, refining process, training process, measuring process. And my question is, how much time do you actually spend on, you know, behavior? right? On the people side. And it's like a big aha moment in the room. You know, it's not that process is bad, but how do we balance it? But anyway, the point that I Mm. wanted to make, uh, which you reminded me, Val, was that it's not just the people part, but the whole dance idea is people is one aspect, but to really truly understand what complexity is. And the people and how they behave and interact in a system. Because a project, is like a complex adaptive system so there's three things typically that increase complexity right or that that define complexity which is uh, it's uh, obviously it's the first the number of uh, people or the number of monkeys so to speak in your project you know psychology, right so the multiplicity of intricacies and overlaps between three things that we need to understand which is people obviously and you know how they behave but also how they are connected to each other, and, and how the information flows through them. So for example, you know uh, you may understand your piece of the project very well, right? And you are working very hard to deliver on those pieces. But what really often gets us is how it intera- interacts to other areas of your organization. And you know, all of a sudden, it goes haywire right because mm. we don't understand that we are part of a larger complex adaptive system so what i'm saying is yes two things it's the people plus also we need to understand the complexity and the connections and the information that flows through them besides the behavioral part
1: yeah i absolutely agree um it's something i've 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 found is more interesting now now studying business psychology and that there is a there is more of an element of this softer side of of working that's required and I was just on finishing my thought before it was, it was basically observing your book from the top down. I think the fact that you included design thinking and that, in essence, that is a non-linear process itself. Um, what's your definition of design thinking? Because you, you mentioned it a few times in the book, and obviously there's a few uh, methods you've pulled out, but you've combined them quite well. Um, how does design thinking apply to projects and PMO in, in um, now yeah. and in the, in the next generation?
2: And that's great because there's a lot of stuff out there now on design thinking and even, you know, uh, we do a lot of design thinking workshops and so on. So it's kind of similar and it goes to the whole empathy part and understanding your user and customer. But the way, uh, you know, I approach it in the book and more from a project management standpoint, is it's all of that, but a slightly different angle. So let me give you an example. And one of the big takeaways for the uh, you know, for project managers is this, to distinguish between planning versus design, okay? To distinguish between planning versus design. And I forget what chapter number it is, but I get into a lot of details in that uh, yep. uh, chapter. Uh, but so here, here, here's what I mean, is planning is typically more what I would say uh, an engineering approach, okay? Which spells the details and provides uh Mechanism to execute the vision, right? So it's like almost like, uh, you know, uh, if you think about in a project plan, your work breakdown structure is like the details Mm. and the specifications. Now, what's interesting is you would not build a building, right, without a blueprint typically, right? But guess what? A lot of project managers do that. They build, you know, they start to kick off the project without a blueprint. And what I mean by that is a design, okay, an architecture approach. So the key is uh, to Mm -hmm. distinguish between an engineering approach versus an architecture approach. So what's an architecture approach? An architecture approach is that as a project manager or program manager, you focus first on the form, the function, and the structure to ensure the feasibility and viability to enable the vision, right? So as an architecture, first you're saying, is it, what's the foundation? What's the structure? How does it look like? Before I get into the details of the work breakdown structure we have to execute. Now, automatically when you're doing it, you're bringing in a lot of the systems thinking ideas and so on, right? So the way there's a whole you know approach uh, we talk about in our seminars and so on, where they used to try to connect your OBS, your organizational breakdown structure, with your PBS, your product breakdown structure, And your WBS your work breakdown structure and then Mm. you kind of ask yourself how do I design Uh, you know one of the things that comes to mind when I talk about this is I always wonder right when I'm flying in a plane although I don't know when that's gonna be (laughs) the next time around you know literally I live on planes you know uh, going all over the place and in the last few months you know I can't even think about it anymore right I hope it's gonna be soon but anyway I often wonder when I'm sitting in a plane at 35,000 feet in extreme temperatures with extreme turbulence, how can the plane withstand all that? You know why? Because it's designed for. It. So the question we as leaders in our organizations, as executives, as project managers, as program managers have to ask is, how do I design my project, my team, my organization to withstand the turbulence? Right. Mm. There is a quote. Um, from um, uh, Roger Martin, who is the dean at the uh, Rotman School of Business in Toronto. And uh, he said that, you know, he, he said this, the design thinker has a stance that seeks the unknown, embraces the possibility of surprise, and is comfortable with wading into complexity and not knowing what is on the other side. So that's, that's exactly what we're going through in COVID right now, right? So mm, what I yeah. added to that is that design is more suitable to withstand the dance, right? So in a situation where there's a lot of uncertainty in our projects right now due to COVID and so on, right, instead of focusing more on planning first, I would focus on design. And you will see in the book, there's a whole table uh which goes into this distinction and explains it in a lot more detail i just give you the highlights of the distinction between design versus planning now again please please don't get it the wrong way i'm not saying planning is a bad thing or you shouldn't do it you should of course but before we dive into planning we have to think about design or see how i can balance both uh, both of those aspects
0: yeah that's really interesting jack um just while you were chatting there, it took me back a bit when I think Val and I had lots of conversations and we worked around, around, you know, projects, teams, environments, um, just, you know, execution, the works. And something that I often come back to is, um, you know, being, being an avid sports fan myself is how all the top sports teams in the world have um, a strategy that can fit and, and change and be agile depending on how the match progresses during the match rather than an afterthought. And Mm. some of the questions you you go on, well, if you only have one plan, well, you're not going to be a successful sports team. So how can you be a a, 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 um, successful project delivery team? um, You know, if you're only going with one approach Uh, equally, um, you know, more and more these days, um, if we, if we use that analogy with sports teams, they have bench capacity where they have people with different skill sets that they can then bring on, um, should the need arise. And, um, you know, this constant drive by organizations to be lean and, um, you know, cut down on costs and not, not have wastage and things like that, um, kind of hinders that from, from my perspective. Um, so I don't know how much that, will sort of resonate with others out there or not, because, you know, not not everyone's into their sports, but um, I, I thought that certainly resonated with me, um, you know, when, when you were chatting about, you know, um, things are thought out from the beginning um, for, for all eventualities.
2: Sports is a very good analogy for where we want to go, because it is very much, um, uh, you know, um, the way... Uh, nature works, right? When we uh, try to, you know, apply organic uh, ways, it's very much like that. What I mean by that is um, uh, spec versus straw, which again is the whole idea of, you know, uh, how do we get to that next generation, which I'll talk about in a minute. But speaking about planning, you reminded me of something. uh, Somebody sent this to me, you know, uh, uh, recently and I got a big chuckle out of it. It said something like, the most useless purchase of 2019 was a 2020 planner, right? <laughs> we all had plans, and 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 look what happened to them, right?
1: Yeah, uh,
2: because they were, you know, sort of the linear, you know, fixed plans, and then the game changed, you know, to go back to your uh, uh, sports metaphor. So, um, so here's the uh, the big uh, 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 distinction, right? Over the last 100, 150 years, uh, the type, the way we run business, organization, factories, projects, is I could summarize it in four letters, right? Which is SPEC, which is SPEC, which stands for you scope, you plan, you execute, and you control, right? So that's like the, you know, and that's the heart of project management or any management, you know. By the way, uh, also one thing, you know, I know, Uh, We're talking about project management and all that, and even uh, the book. Uh, But a lot of these ideas apply to generally in management and business. You know, they kind of uh, apply uh, just so that we don't get too caught up in project management world. So uh, spec, scope, plan, execute, control, right? And it worked beautifully. Again, why? Because life was simple. We didn't have we had the dance, but it wasn't a dynamic dance, and it was very easy. Uh, to sort of please the monkey, you know, uh, so to speak. And you gave monkey, the monkey wanted a chair. If you gave the monkey a chair, you know, the monkey was happy or a car. And if you gave him one black car, you know, uh, it was happy. But in the world we live in right now, it's very, very uh, complex. It's very, very different. The monkey doesn't know what it wants. It keeps changing the mind. Uh, You know, the monkey, uh, uh, we don't know what they're going to like you know and uh, we don't know what's going to you know uh, make them happy and make things go viral and you know the monkey wants the chair that reconfigures itself you know and based on its moods how, how the heck are you going to build mm. something like that right yeah, yeah. Uh, so so the 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 shift and where the, your sports analogy i loved was and you'll see a lot where the next generation goes uh the headline i'll give it to you and you know uh, it, it there's a lot, you know, to unpack uh, about that. And what we do is moving from it. So the third sort of big idea from the book, what does the next generation look like? What does the shift look like? So if not spec, uh, it's not more like if if not spec, but besides spec or and what else, right? Mm. So we move from spec to SRAM, which is sense, respond, adapt, adjust. Okay. So that's what happens if you really think about, you know, uh, uh, after a lot of deep experience, if you're, uh, you know, very proficient in sports, after years of practice and experience, that's what you do. You do SRA. If you're a good pilot, if you're, you know, uh, uh, in an Air Force and your plane is struck, what do you do? How do you survive? What is going to get us through COVID? It's that SRA skills. Mm. So it's like understanding what those skills are and then balancing back and forth between the two is the key.
0: No Wow, that, that's that's really insightful. And so if I'm a project manager listening to this now and I go, okay, that's fantastic, Jack. You're telling me I'm going to have to be a little bit more agile or a lot more agile. I'm going to have to plan for all eventualities. Um, how do I go about doing this? I mean, yes, your books obviously going to be a fantastic source of information. Um, is it the only source or they tips and tricks. And I mean, without without going giving away too many of your secrets, you know, it it is in your book. Um, Are are there any sort of, sort of, you know, maybe top three things that I can start thinking about if I'm a project manager listening to this?
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely. So first of all, let's talk a little bit about agile and agile is definitely a a good thing. It's a step in the right direction. Um, So, but I think what people have done is they latch onto agile without understanding the true essence of agile or what it means. Right. So it's become more like jargon now. And you'll have people or project managers or even executives, yeah, we want to be agile, but then give me your fixed plan, right? Or you know, <laughs> or they get very happy when you use the terminology, you know, okay, we're doing sprints and you're doing this, but without really getting the essence of agile. And so Agile is a step in the right direction, but I don't think that is going to solve all our problems because Agile does not completely get the dance part, mm. right? So if you look at the evolution, if we were to look at methodologies and life cycles, right, in project management over the last hundred years, we, you know, we started with predictive approaches. Then we went to rolling wave and iterative approaches. And then we went to incremental approaches. And then we are kind of in Agile and questioning what's next right? So what's next is going to be more, I don't know, you know, uh, the terminology, but what I talk about in the book is more going more towards adaptive, more intuitive, integrated, uh, you know, which combines the both uh, mechanical and organic together. So it's more integrated, more intuitive together. It understands complexity and behavior and bringing a lot of these ideas together. So the vision would be, you know, that uh, there is a bot or a chip which can gather the data and you know help me manage the project, and it's happening, and you know all of that happening you know uh, in, in a transformative way. But we're not quite there, you know, obviously. So uh, to answer your question, so first thing is even to understand that there is a difference. I mean, the first thing is awareness. Most project managers, I think, there are only ways to polish my spec skills. Right. If I'm not succeeding, mm. how do I do better, you know, uh, 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 you know, planning and better scoping and better requirements management and better. And of course, you can do that. And I'm not you know, saying you shouldn't, but that helps only in projects that are those type of projects. So to give you a better context for this conversation, uh, one of my favorite analogies to use to explain this is uh, we're playing two games. Okay. There's one game you can play, which is uh, like pool, or I think in UK or Australia, you call it, uh, you know, you call it billiards. And here in America, we call it pool table, you know, Mm -hmm. so pool or billiards uh, if you think about it is based on sort of pure physics, right. And uh, you can aim, right. And uh, you can practice and you know, the rules of the game, they're pretty static and you practice and you practice and with deliberate practice, you can master it, and it's not easy. It's difficult, but after a few years, uh, you know you can clear the table. If you go and look at, you know, championships, they could clear the table and you know two or shots or one shot or whatever, right? And so that's it. It's like I I know the rules. I know what it is. I know if I do this, it's going to hit then ricochet and go into the pocket and all the dynamics and what my opponent is going to do and then what I'm going to do and so on and so forth. Okay, so that's one game you can play. Mm -hmm. another game is uh, uh, pinball pinball. your stakeholders pull the chain your project gets kicked off as soon as it kicks off they say oh they changed their mind no we want to do something else oh wait a second we're having a reorg oh gosh we got to stop everything that's COVID (laughs) oh no 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 there's a person that just got fired oh somebody's sick and all you're doing is you're flipping and flipping and flipping and praying the ball doesn't go in the hole right yeah yeah. So how many of us can relate to which game we are playing? Are you playing pool or are you playing pinball? Mm. And, you know, the, 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 our, we can laugh about this, but the irony in this conversation is most of us are playing pinball using the tools and methodologies and mindset of uh, a, pool, a pool table. So we are confused. We don't even know if you're using the right approach or the tools or the mindset, right? So the big, I think the key is to, first of all, I would question, which game are you playing? if Nothing else you take away from this conversation is the awareness. There's two games. Which game are we playing? Now, if you are, if you're working on a factory floor, and if you are, your scope is very, very clear, your problem is known, right, or knowable, and your solution is known or knowable, then you're on the left side. You can continue to do spec, and it works. It has worked for the last 150 years. No problem. Hmm. But if you're more on the other side, where your problem is unknown or unknowable, you know, what we call wicked problems, how do you even scope it? Like COVID, how do you even scope it? This requires a whole different mindset. So what I would say, I'm, you know, to give you a long-winded <laughs> response, what I would say is to, first of all, generate the awareness that there's a difference. Ask yourself, which game am I playing? And then if you are playing pool, continue to do what you're doing. Polish your spec skills. But if you're playing pinball, then you need to come to a different party and you've got to learn what tries. And how do I, you know, it's like being, like you said, Dale, it's like being on the field. You know, you don't know what strategy the other teams are using. You don't know where the virus is going to come from.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Dan, that's good, Jack. Uh, you know, obviously, there's passionate, but it, it, you picked up on a part of the book that I'd already read that I really liked. Uh, I think the picture you had in the book was a tennis player serving and then you had a basketball ring on the other side of the, yeah. of the net, which is right, great, right, which right. is such it's such a good picture. Uh, but I love the analogy even better. Um, I'm going di- to dive into a few things. Um, but First, you know, just talking about people and behavior and obviously be dynamic. And I personally use this method. I can't remember who taught me, but but you talk about it in the book uh, in such a way that that resonates with me, Jack. Um, And for the listeners, it'd be great if you could explain it. So obviously you talk about org chart and I love the the kind of reference to organism, something that's living, Um, because if anyone who's worked in projects knows if you ask for an org chart, you won't get one. And if you do, it's out of date. Uh, But also that the difference between org chart and the informal network that you talk about that's a really interesting concept and you know, you talk about how you use that like, analyze nodes degrees. And um, can you explain that a little bit more?
2: Sure, definitely. So um, before I do that, I'm going to just zoom out so uh, everybody gets sort of a picture. So mm. the uh, value question relates to one of the areas of the DNA, which is the connect piece. So overall right. in the book, uh, there are seven uh, uh, pieces to the DNA as you uh, decode uh, the DNA. There are seven areas in the DNA, and there's strategy, there's execution, and then there's governance, uh, measurement, uh, change, learn, and connect. And each of this is a chapter which gets into the details of the strands and the tools and the techniques and so on and so forth. The area you are uh, bringing up that caught your attention, I believe, is in the connect chapter, in chapter nine. Yep
1: and yeah one of it, my favorites
2: yeah so that in that area for example so as you unpack the dna strand of connect right most project managers would be familiar with this and typically one of the areas you're familiar with is stakeholder management right so you focus on stakeholders right so the way we introduce the idea of the dna is and and I'll, I'll by the way at the end please remind me to talk about this But uh, we are doing uh, uh, research right now. If any of the listeners are interested in participating with the organizations and so on, you can get in touch. But we are trying to decode the genome uh, of organizations to see how do we build an effective strategy execution platform. And it's sort of the next generation of maturity conversation and so on, uh, which Mm. we can go there if you like later. But anyway, getting back to your question, uh, stakeholders uh, is typically we think about, but there's... The other areas, each of the DNA is in the what and the how. So if we unpack, connect element of the DNA, we see stakeholders, the different silos, um, the different business areas, the interfaces and interdependencies. So this is the what, what we need to connect. And the how is the networks and connections, uh, Marcom, which is the marketing and communications, relationships, and community and collaboration. So the area that your question pertains to is more what I call networks and connections, which is often sort of not delved into typically in project management, more so although I'm seeing now more and more people are starting to talk about this, which is this is kind of like the next generation of stakeholder management. So stakeholder management, I'm sure you know you've seen the templates, you know, who are the people, what's their power, what's their influence, what's their interest, etc. And there's a lot of different templates out there. But what this is, is taking it to the next generation and mapping the stakeholder network analysis. Who is connected to whom and how many degrees of separation there are. And this is so, so important to understand complexity and see what is going on. So that uh, piece is, uh, there's different tools out there, but even simply just being aware. uh, In the book, I call it the GINA problem. You know, you got your org chart, right? And you can have different layers in the arc chart. But guess what? How does really work get done? If a project manager needs to get something done, and if he's waiting for responses to come from the top down, you know, from the CIO to the, you know, this area and that area, he's got to wait a long time and it's, it's, it's impacting, you know, his productivity. So what you can do is find out the Gina. Gina may not necessarily be on any of those top layers. She's somewhere hidden but she is a key connector in the network and Gina knows everybody you want something, everybody goes to Gina, right? So if you want to be an effective project manager, identify those Gina's in the world. And that's what, you know, that part of the connect chapter gets into how to do it and what were the tools you can use. We use tools like stakeholder leverage maps, uh, stakeholder network analysis and so on.
1: Yeah, no, that's very interesting because it's a very similar method to I think Dale and I probably recognize it, um, using different terminology that, but people, people of influence, we, we used to use the term, that's probably an older term now, but, but it was exactly like that. Cause obviously you, you would go to the people you mentioned them, and, and they were the people that would get things done or they knew where to get those, those things done. Um, and they, they really are the thing that drives the project. It's, it's not the old, the old kind of map of title role and authority anymore. I think you'll find a lot of projects that rely on that are uh, suffering, uh, especially in my experience. But but it's where you see someone who has got that ability to maybe adopt some of these, uh, you know, kind of new concepts you're talking about, well, not new but but generally relatively new concepts like being dynamic and being agile in the truest sense of the word, and then applying them because um, you know we, we know some really good people that that just even if they don't know the answer they'll they'll figure it out. They're so resourceful. Uh, Right, and And, and, and so valuable to
2: the business. uh, Here's something interesting to that, you know, besides getting things done. And again, uh, you know, since we're talking about uh, transformation and next generation, what it looks like, here's some recent research I came across, which is very, very fascinating, which is uh, they studied organizations. And if you want to stop things from being done in an organization, it's relatively easy to do it from the top down right so if mm. you are you know a, a, a manager or director or c level person at some level and let's say from next week onwards we're going to stop this practice or you know let's say travel or whatever it is right and you issue an edict or an email or whatever and for the most part you know people get it and they'll follow it right and that's mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, okay but here's the interesting part when you want something new change transformation to happen Top down is very difficult. It has to be bottom up. And the Absolutely. bottom up, how? With the key connectors, the key connectors who are the people like the genus of the world who know how to spread the. I was going to say virus, but in today's world we can't even use that in a positive <laughs> way, right? How they make ideas go viral, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> we get it.
2: That's how yeah. the virus is spreading, right? It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, we have to be yeah. careful with our metaphors these days, but. Uh, yeah. How do you get your ideas to go viral? It's always from the bottom up typically, you know, uh, and those are the, so you have to identify the key connectors.
1: Yeah. And is that similar to, you know, champions? Cause I've, I've heard that term before as well. So
2: yeah, someone who advocates a, a particular change. Fine, but uh, I, I find in my experience, it's a loaded term because some, somebody annoys or makes you a champion. Rather than it coming, you know, uh, off from the bottom up by itself organically. So I might say, yeah, okay, it's, Dale, it's you're the champion for this uh, new initiative. So everybody said, oh, here we go. Okay, so we get it. You know, so it's still kind of like that. Rather than all of a sudden from nowhere, there's a guy called Val, and you know, he's starting this uh, podcast which is really cool, and everybody wants it. You know,
1: that's mm. different. No. Yeah, it's kind of another label as well if you think about it. Um, and it, it is interesting that you know, and the, the biggest thing we, we find is that a lot of these organic type bottom up initiatives, because they are, have been plenty part of plenty, is the not not the, just the reluctance, but the time pressures to get it to run organic. I think there's not an appreciation for people to understand that change isn't and particularly organic change, and change that's going to stick in the long term isn't something that necessarily can be measured in a week or a month, it needs time to kind of gestate and and bump into other people and then for them to try it out. And then this is why software companies offer 30-day trials, right? They want you to kind of have a play and then get invested before you start to become a raving fan. A bit like your book as you you lead in through the chapters. I really like the way you structured the DNA. Um, But is that your sense of the world as well in projects?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think organic change is more sticky. It's better you know, then it coming from somewhere and so on, it, 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 it takes time. But uh, again, if the way it's done, if it goes viral, how do we make it sticky? Right. And mm-hmm. so definitely, I, I think you're right on uh, organic change is more persistent
1: and yeah. sticky. Yeah. And just jumping around the book, obviously there's, there's so many, I mean, this book is, you know, I can't explain it because obviously it's, it's biased to talk about it with the author, but, but I, I, there's so many takeaways there's so much information packed into this that you obviously you can't read it once uh, you've got to go through and I actually use it as a bit of a reference just to check my own thoughts and and uh, and, and processes uh, but there's a f- there's a few things I wanted to talk about and there's another kind of bastardized term but I wanted to get your definition of it obviously I've read your terminology uh, but for the listeners project intelligence now I, I've heard this everywhere and it's has kind gone of a bit of a new buzzword I guess or maybe. Uh, incorporates different things, but from your book and from your perspective, what does project intelligence mean?
2: Okay. So there's two aspects I want to talk about from that standpoint. I'll come to project intelligence in um, in a minute, but before that, I just want to talk about this whole idea of intelligence. And hopefully this gives a sort of a broader perspective as well as we think about the uh, DNA application and so on. So, uh, and some of uh, the listeners may not like this because this is a challenging idea. And actually there's a lot of, you know, we are currently right now doing research and any of your listeners are part of this, uh, they can contact me and, you know, we can make you part of this research project where we are trying to really uh, understand the genome and uh, look at um, uh, how do we develop intelligence. So. In, I'm sure you guys are familiar with this whole idea of maturity and project management maturity, PMO maturity, systems maturity. And this is not a new idea. It's been going on for a long time. And uh, those of you in systems, you're familiar with, you know, the good old CMMI, uh, you know, Software Engineering Institute and so on. Yep. And then even in project management, we had different maturity models almost every Other uh, consulting organization has their own view of that. Even PMI in the U.S. had um, uh, OPM3, Organizational Project Management Maturity Model. and So they all tried it, but it's so, so challenging because of a lot of the things we have been talking today, uh, because of the dance and the organic and the complexity that you can't really decompose it all. So maturity is a very, very challenging and complex subject. And another way to think about it is, even you can be mature and you can be old, but that does not mean that you're necessarily smart, right? And if you yeah. really think about DNA, right, you can't really mature a DNA. But you can, what you can do, and in today's technology we have, we can, first of all, decode and understand the DNA. And then we can re-engineer it, and we can embed intelligence in the DNA. So where our idea is, and we're making a lot of progress around that in the book, you'll see, each chapter ends with that is we take a whole different perspective on project management maturity organizational maturity is towards how do we uh, increase an intelligence so that's the whole idea so in each of the areas whether it's execution or strategy or change or measurement or metrics or connect pieces of the dna how do we increase intelligence in each of these areas and at the back of each chapter there's actually a list of questions to get you started about how can we increase and embed intelligence in each of these areas. So the other part now coming to your question, which is the PI or the project intelligence part, which is an exciting. I wish it comes sooner. I think we are getting there slowly, but I know in on this podcast with your other guests, you uh, typically, you know, ask this about tools, uh, you know, the tools, what tools do you recommend? What tools do you use? And um, uh, so I, I will address that now for you guys. I'm sure this is a cliche. You've heard this many, many times before. <laughs> but a fool with a tool is just a faster fool, right? Um, now, the why that is so, because I think, uh, first of all, uh, a couple of quick points about that. I don't think there exists a tool today that is a cool and sexy, you know, app version of a tool that we can, you know, like the Zoom version of the project management tool that everybody can intuitively understand and use, you know, and so on, right? So that's the first thing. It's, it's not there. They promise it, but it's not there. Now, the second piece of that conversation is one of the biggest challenges in my experience working around the world with organizations of all sizes is that the biggest challenge with tools is data, and I know you guys call it data. I don't even know how to say it, right? But, <laughs> but data, right? Getting, uh, you know, uh, and uh, I know I've heard you guys say, you know, garbage in, gospel out, right? Uh, but, uh, the, so the biggest challenge is how do we get the right data in? You can see all the cool and sexy colorful bubble charts and, you know, all the things, but what is the data behind that? And the biggest challenge is input of data. And whether people want to input it and when they input it, is it the right data or not, right? So that's been the biggest challenge that is still very hard to overcome in uh, any kind of you know dashboards, tools, data analytics, you know all of these things that we talk about. So how do we get around it? So that's why the exciting part is the PI or project intelligence part is, and there is some pieces of it that exist today, but I think we're going to gather very quickly soon in the next, uh, you know, uh, a couple of years, which is that you will have bots, right? For example, you will have time collection bots or estimation bots. So yep. you and I don't have to input how much time I spend on a working on a project. What the bot does is it looks at a behavior, how many times I sent an email to Dale because he's working with me on this rail project. Or uh, how many times I looked at this sheet and how, what did I do? What was my, you know, all that. It's collecting all that kind of data in the background. And then it automatically uses machine intelligence to core uh, collect that data. So that way, mm. that is really more authentic and it's true data and it's happening all in the background where I don't even need to enter anything but it's giving me the it's kind of like you know a lot, uh, an easy way to kind of understand that is, is you know we all use these uh, you know Fitbits and Whoop tools and Pelotons and you know which gives us all kinds of dynamics and sports that you know even a couple of years ago were very hard to gather that data and more importantly the other exciting part is a lot of this data, as you can see with these uh, things that wearables now, they drive our behaviors they drive our behaviors in what management wants us to do and so on. so anyway, that's yeah, exactly. like in a nutshell yeah. the whole project intelligence part.
1: no, it's fantastic and it's yeah it's, it's hit some some core themes for some previous podcasts where we talk about uh, machine learning and, and the application of that but but certainly there is a, there's almost a, a want. For humans and machines to combine, um, and I recently know this because I was watching The Matrix with my two young daughters and um, trying to explain the, the concept behind it. But they got it, which is, and, and you know, they're six and nine. That so if you understand at that level, that it's inevitable. Uh, it's it's a pretty exciting future. Um, now we've only got a f- you know a few minutes or a few more questions, and I probably got one more on my side, and I'll hand over to Dale uh, Jack. Uh, but it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, Let's let's talk about it. Let's talk about the next generation. What does that mean, and what do you have in in, in store?
2: Yeah. So uh, the funny thing is, uh, the next generation brand. You know, I've been talking about it uh, for the last twenty years. And uh, uh, by the way, uh, it all came about uh, when I was working with PMI to do seminars uh, in seminars world program, which uh, we've been doing for twenty years now. I've been doing with PMI. So I do a number of seminars, mm-hmm. like the next generation PMO and portfolio management, next generation leadership and communication, and a new one on managing the dance in today's turbulent world and so on. And this has uh, 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 taken us uh, you know, uh, throughout uh, the world and that's how I came to Melbourne uh, and did seminars with organizations and uh, and so on and other places around the world. And um, uh, so, so I've been doing this for 20 years. And the funny thing is, uh, as, as some of my colleagues will ask me, Hey, Jack, you've been talking about the next generation. When does the next generation come? <laughs> right. You know, what, right. what is the next generation? When does it come? Right. So here's news for you guys. The next generation is never coming because the next generation is what we should all be, which is constantly challenging ourselves and learning and seeking. What's, how can we get better? There's always a better way to do things. So it's that hunger and it's that uh, uh, sense of curiosity. How do we develop? Because there's always a better way to do it, right? So the next mm. generation is, the, my definition of the next generation is constantly seeking and learning and uh, being curious about what can we do better. Uh, think about it, every day we are learning new things, even in science. Uh, some of the things we've learned in the last ten years, like dark matter. We had you know we saw that, hey, we, we know everything we need to know in science, there would be no progress. So that's what the next generation is for always for uh, any level of management, executives, leaders to constantly keep challenging, okay, what's next? And uh, you know, uh, uh, well, how can we do things better? Curiosity, learning. And for to be more specific, uh, the next generation from the project and program management side, is uh, really to, uh, we've been done very well at SPEC, at scope, plan, execute, control. Now, for us, is how do we learn more about SRA, sense responded active trust? What does that mean? What are the skills we need to develop? That's sort of the next generation. And then uh, the, the next step after that would be, how do we bring the two together and balance within that? So that, that's how, uh, if, uh, you know, say that's what the next generation is about.
0: Wow. Oh wow. excellent. Awesome. Thanks, Jack. And um yeah, I've I've just been in the background there just listening and absorbing it all and I, I'm absolutely loving this. And I, I could I could listen, you know, to you sort of just chat about these these topics um, for, for ages. But uh, as, as Val says, um, you know, we, we, we limit the, the time we, we dedicate to the pod and as we look to sort of wrap things up, I kind of just got one more sort of open ended Topic or discussion or question to ask you, and you know your, your bio talks about you know you've worked all over the world, um, you know with NASA, Silicon Valley, governments around the world. Are there any interesting sort of anecdotes or sound bites that you could share with us? With you know um, that that would be interesting in in your experience on projects. Uh,
2: yeah, you know the interesting thing is uh, across all these th- the themes is uh, we struggle with the same challenges, and a lot of times there is no awareness of the true complexity and the dance and people do a lot of lip service so one of the interesting anecdotes that comes to mind is you know i was working with one of the uh, nasa teams with technical program managers and uh, you know we kind of doing a workshop on you know on the dance and complexity and one of the uh, technical program managers who is working on this program uh, which is to put uh, a probe on jupiter in i believe at, at that time it was 2021 i'm sure it's delayed now and just to give you an idea it's like uh jupiter is known as the extreme planet where it's like 400 and plus degrees celsius where you know uh the pressure is uh, you know so many g's that even a submarine could not uh survive and you know here we have to design a probe to go there and collect data right so how, how, you know, even how do you even technically possibly think about making something that was surviving these things and all the technical challenges and the complexities involved, in all right? So we're discussing all of these things. And as we are discussing it, you know, he gets an email which he shows to me, he says, my boss is asking me for a solid plan for this. And we all start <laughs> laughing. And he wants it like by the weekend, you know. And we said, yeah, we can all relate, no matter what you're doing, what level your project is, we can all relate to it, uh, uh, this, you know. So that's something that, you know, kind of comes to mind. It's uh, it's kind of exciting because, you know, you get an opportunity to work with uh, all kinds of organizations and people at different levels uh, in the government uh also uh, in the silicon Valley it's interesting you know companies that are making uh, 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 robots for surgical robots or self-driving cars and some of the challenges you feed uh, you know you face and the pressures to deliver you know mm. on time uh, constantly uh, you know within your parameters where we don't even know what the technical solution is going to be it's very very challenging very very hard so oh, wow. this type of thinking is really necessary.
0: Wow. That's great insights. And thanks for sharing that, Jack. Um, As as we look to to round off, I'm going to, I've got the sort of unenviable task of um, trying to sum this all up. Um, So if I may, (laughs) I'm going to try.
2: Before you do that, can I just uh, uh, share a couple of points, uh, invitation for your readers?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Go ahead. For your
2: listeners. Um, So I mentioned earlier about the DNA research. Uh, uh, and uh, you know, uh, uh, building a genome. So one of the things is, you know, just like the maturity idea, we are trying to look at organizations, and, and we could detect and analyze the DNA whether your PMO will be successful or whether your program will be successful. So we look at the genome of your organization. We look at the seven areas. We get into the details, and then you can see what are the strengths and weaknesses in each of these areas and how, what do you need to do to develop intelligence? So if any of your audience is uh, interested in participating in that research, uh, you can um, uh, uh, get in touch with us. Another thing Mm. is if your audience is interested uh, in the book and they end up getting the book, also contact us. There's a a, a free toolkit uh, for, you know, anybody who gets the book uh, will send it to you, which is not available elsewhere as a, uh, away as a part of this conversation. So let me know if you're interested in a tool code. If you do end up getting the book and so on, and at yeah, any yeah. time, if anybody's interested in any of these topics to dig in, uh, you know, please feel free to get in touch with me on LinkedIn and other platforms.
0: Thanks very much. Yeah, that that um, I, yeah, absolutely. Um, you're doing amazing things, and I you know, I think people would. Oh, well, I'd encourage them to jump at the opportunity to, to get in touch with you and, and engage. Um, we've been very, very fortunate to, to spend, you know, the best part of an hour with you uh, just chatting. And um, um, we, we really thank you for that. Um, but like I said, if I, if I try and sum it up, um, uh, let, let's see if I can do it justice. So some of the bits that stuck out for me, um, it's about the awareness. Be aware. Are you, are you, you know, are you playing pool or pinball <laughs> was one that stuck out for me. Um, just around your mindset going into projects and project delivery. Um, be aware about that as well. Um, you also touched on organic versus mechanical um, and how we focusing more on the organic side now, but then potentially the next generation uh, might be the coming together of those two things. Um, and then something you mentioned that I really liked was, you know, um, you're talking about, you know, what the best tools out there are when you spoke about, you know, intelligence and project intelligence, et cetera, was, you know, a full um, with a, a a great tool is just a faster fool. I think that's brilliant. (laughs) So thank you very much um, for that, uh, Jack. Are are there any final words you want to leave us with?
2: Uh, Yeah. One of the thing is uh, if any uh, of your listeners is interested in the old days, it was hard to do it uh, because you would have to travel. But these days through PMI, we are doing seminars. So on these topics, uh, I have one in uh, July in a couple of weeks and then one in August and then in November on the Next Generation PMO and Portfolio Management, which is a three-day seminar, and then another one on Next Generation Leadership and Communication, which is a one-day seminar. So you could take it anywhere, uh, from anywhere, check it out, uh, uh, you know, um, and you will learn if you want to dig into these ideas if they put to your interest. And the last thing I want to leave people uh, with is, uh, you know, uh, learn to dance and enjoy the dance, you know, become aware of the dance and understand what game you're playing. So learn to dance and enjoy uh, the dance. Get comfortable with, with being uncomfortable and dance at the edge of chaos if you really want to uh, uh, enjoy and create innovation in the next generation. The next generation happens at the edge of chaos.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I've certainly enjoyed, enjoyed this dance. Val, any final words from you?
1: uh no it's a pleasure jack um as always um lots of insight um from from your book and obviously you were the first uh person we've we've actually had on the pod with a with a book um so it was great to see your insights and your passion around various elements um i, I could speak for another hour at least um, on just one chapter i think jack so maybe we'll have you come back on the show uh, but for me thanks thanks very much for being uh being here thank you so much
0: Thanks, Val. So, uh, well, folks, that's all we have time for on this episode. Uh, for more information, blogs, previous podcasts, check out projectchatterpodcast.com. at com. Uh, as Jack says, if you're interested, please go out, grab the book. There's so much in there. There's so much we haven't covered. So go out, get, get Jack's book. Um, a massive thank you to our guest, Jack Dougal. Um, thanks, as always, to Val. Thank you all for thanks, listening. Till next time, we say stay safe, be disruptive, and have fun doing it. Bye for now. The views, thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the participating individuals and not necessarily to the individual's employer, organisation, committee or other group or individual. Additionally, any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organisation, company or individual.